10-3 is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forged player's distance iron. Unmatched field distance and control have been forged to perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel and will get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes launch, trajectory, and delivers tremendous control. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer or visit CallawayGolf.ca and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. At the U.S.-Canada border between B.C. and Washington, there's a park where you can freely meander between countries so long as you don't leave the stretch of grass. But that free movement has allegedly been exploited by a B.C. man who is accused of human smuggling for bringing people into the country illegally using that park. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at what sparked the investigation into the man accused and how the alleged smuggling took place. If you're not already a subscriber, please do so on your favorite listening app. And don't forget to leave us a review and tell all your friends about us. Peace Arch Park uh, is uh, an international park uh, that that straddles the border between uh, BC and Washington State. So if you've ever traveled uh, between, say, Vancouver and Seattle, uh, you inevitably uh, will pass through this park. Uh, to get to uh, the port of entry. Doug Kwan is a reporter with the National Post whose investigation looked into human smuggling at Peace Arch Park at the Canada-U.S. border. It's, it's a beautiful park on you know a sunny day, particularly in the summertime. Uh, you, you tend to see a lot of visitors uh, milling about, uh, you know, shooting pictures on the lawn. Uh, sort of the centerpiece of the park is this 20-meter uh, tall uh, square arch monument uh, known as the Peace Arch, uh, and it's sort of a symbol uh, of the close relations uh, between uh, Canada and the U.S. So people can kind of walk freely through this grassy area right at the border, so they can kind of cross without having to report to anybody instantaneously, right? Exactly. So this park is sort of nestled geographically in between uh, the Canada uh, and U.S. ports of entry. Uh, the international boundary actually crosses uh, where this uh, Peace Arch monument is is located. So visitors, whether you're coming from the U.S. side or from the Canadian side, you can go visit the park and 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 actually physically cross the boundary uh, without the need of of any passport. So what happens if people decide not to report themselves or decide to stay on one side? By law, you, you know, technically, if you are, uh, you know, crossing the boundary and intending to go further into the country, then you do need to uh, report to uh, the, the port of entry. So uh, if you're uh, not doing that, then you are violating uh, a federal law. Now, this seems like something that could potentially be ripe for abuse. And that's kind of where we come into your feature, right? It's believed that people are being smuggled from the U.S. into Canada. How does that all work? That's exactly it. So the crux of this whole investigation uh, is centered on on this idea of, of uh, this sort of so-called human smuggling network that essentially exploited uh, this, this open portion uh, of the border. You know, there's no fences, there's no walls, it's just completely open. It's this expansive, you know, grassy lawn uh, that you can freely walk across. Um, and so that's what investigators say happened in, in this particular case, that uh, this, this human smuggling network sort of took advantage of this open portion of the border. 
you know, migrants would、uh, fly from China、uh, to the United States.、Uh, from there, they would、uh, make their way to Seattle or to the Seattle area. At which point,、uh, members of this network would drive、uh, the migrants to uh, the uh, U.S. B.C. border.、Uh, they drop them off in a parking lot,、um, and from there,、uh, they would essentially walk、uh, from the U.S. side of the park、uh, to the Canadian side of the park. They would do this undetected. Once they crossed onto Canadian soil, there would typically be someone、uh, waiting on the other side for them, and they would be guided to a, a waiting vehicle. If you know the layout of the park, you, you know that there are different directions that you can go to exit the park. There's sort of this residential neighborhood、uh, to the east of the park, and that's where they would go、hmm. sometimes. Um, there's a parking lot near a duty-free store on the north end of the park, and that's where they would go other times.、Um, and then there's this beach、uh, on the west side of the park,、uh, where you can basically just walk to the shoreline and、uh, exit the park that way. So your article focused mainly on a man by the name of Michael Kong. Who is Michael Kong, and what is it he's alleged to have done? Sure.、Uh, so Michael Kong,、uh, he's he's a longtime resident of Vancouver. He's 62 years of age.、Uh, we know from court records that、uh, he spent、uh, a good chunk of of his、uh, time in Vancouver working、uh, in the sawmill industry.、Um, he apparently was laid off、uh, a number of years ago. At which point it appears that he,、uh, according to authorities,、uh, switched into becoming involved in in this、uh, smuggling network. The role that he played in this network、uh, is not exactly defined.、Uh, in in the court records, investigators describe him、uh, as being an organizer. Whether he was the key organizer or whether he was one of、uh, a number of organizers is not is not clear. But you know, he he definitely played a, a chief role in this. What he's alleged to have done is essentially you know played this role of communicating with. Uh, what appears to be、uh, a small army of individuals who sort of played a supporting role in the network.、Hmm. Uh, he, you know, communicated with、uh, the supporting cast of of drivers、uh, who would work on both sides of the border、uh, to pick up people in Seattle, drop them off at the border,、uh, and then there would be people on the other side who would play the role of、uh, picking up these migrants and then taking them further into Canada. And at one point, uh, uh, he would then sort of take over. Uh, take these migrants to a mall, typically in Richmond,、uh, BC,、uh, an Asian mall, where he might, you know, give them some dinner,、uh, and then help them get uh, uh, airplane tickets. These migrants typically flew to Toronto,、um, at which point they、uh, they filed、uh, refugee claims、uh, in in a Toronto suburb called Etobicoke. So, how many people are we talking about that have been smuggled across the border as part of this operation? Investigators have charged、uh, Mr. Kong、uh, with seven counts of、uh, human smuggling under the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, and those seven charges、uh, pertain to 34 migrants、uh, who are、uh, suspected of having been smuggled、uh, from the U.S. into Canada. However,、uh, when investigators、uh, served a search warrant at Mr. Kong's home in 2016,、uh, they found on his home computer. Um, an electronic ledger, or what they described as a score sheet,、uh, that basically was like this running log of people、uh, suspected of having been smuggled between 2011 and 2016. And on that score sheet,、uh, 
uh, they found uh, the names of upwards of, of 932 individuals uh, who they believe uh, were smuggled across the border uh, during that time period. So it, it's clear from the court records that this operation is is much larger um, than uh, you know what what uh, is suggested by the charges against him. And what are these people coming to Canada for? You, you talk about them uh, getting on a plane and flying to Ontario and, and filing a, a refugee claim, but what is it they're they're coming to Canada to do? Yeah, it's a great question, and and that's probably one of the the, the questions that we still don't have a, a clear answer to. Uh, what I can say is that based on one of his previous convictions, uh, we were able to con- uh, obtain uh, immigration records for one of the uh, individuals uh, that uh, that he's convicted of helping to smuggle into Canada, and based on uh, the refugee claim that this woman uh, filed, uh, we know that she told immigration authorities that her parents. Uh, wanted her to come to Canada to get a better education. Uh, she stated in her refugee claim that uh, the snakehead that helped her get out of China in the first place uh, told her and her family um, that she would have better success of getting her refugee claim accepted in Canada uh, as opposed to uh, in the United States. We also know from the court records that uh, out of the 900-plus uh, names that were found on that score sheet, uh, federal authorities did confirm um, that just over 300 of those individuals did, in fact, uh, file uh, refugee claims uh, in Canada, most of them out of uh, Etobicoke, uh, Ontario. Uh, one question that is still outstanding is how many of those refugee claims were successful? And, and on Friday, we posed that question to uh, the Canada Border Services Agency, and they told us um, that it would take some time for them to uh, tabulate uh, the outcome. So uh, hopefully we'll get an answer this week. And, and when we do, uh, we'll report that. Every day, our award-winning journalists bring you trusted news that matters. This wouldn't be possible without our subscribers. Subscribe today at nationalpost.com slash podcast. Now, you mentioned that Kong has previous convictions. How many times has he done this? We, we've come to learn that uh, he already has uh, two previous convictions uh, stemming from incidents that took place in, in 2010 and, and in 2013. So this goes back a number of years. And what's interesting is that in, in those earlier incidents, it, it appears that Kong had much more of a hands-on role in terms of you know physically helping people cross the border, uh, whereas the charges against him now involve incidents where he had sort of the support of, of the supporting cast of characters. Um, so in 2010, uh, we, we know from court records that uh, he was caught bringing two Mexican nationals across uh, the border at, at Peace Arch Park. It, it happened on this uh, day. Uh, it's sort of an annual event where they shut down the border uh, for something called Hands Across the Border. It's, it brings together Boy Scouts and and and, uh, and, and girl guides from from both sides of the border. Uh, for sort of this event that celebrates uh, the, the relationship between the two countries. And so it appears that he, you know, took advantage of that event to bring across these two Mexican nationals. But uh, there were some eagle-eyed uh, authorities on, on both sides of the border that saw him and intercepted uh, them as they were attempting to, to come into Canada. Uh, the second incident in, in 2013, he delegated to someone else the task of dropping off uh, three Asian women on the U.S. side of the border. He stayed on the Canadian side, and they sort of rendezvoused on the Canadian side of the park. 
at which point he uh, brought them, uh, these three Asian women, to his van, which was in, in, in a parking lot. But before they were able to drive off, uh, CBSA officers swooped in and, uh, and arrested all of them. I was wondering about that. How did the investigation into him start, or how did, did this all kind of come together for law enforcement? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, what the court records uh, indicate is that this all started um, in 2012 uh, when uh, federal authorities noticed a pattern of Chinese migrants who were filing uh, refugee claims at inland government offices. These are separate from refugee claims who might, you know, fly into an airport and file a refugee claim at the airport. So these are people who somehow made it into the country and then proceed to an inland government office to file a refugee claim. And what these authorities noticed was a pattern of Chinese migrants who indicated on their refugee claim forms that they got into the country via Peace Arch Park. And so when they started one claim after another indicating that their uh, entry into Canada was via the park, that's when they decided to uh, set up this uh, investigation and, and suspected that there was a, a smuggling operation going on. And that's when they sort of started to, to set up these surveillance teams. So how is it that people are getting across the park uh, from the US and into Canada without people noticing? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> um, here's what we have come to, to learn. When you go and, and visit uh, the park, as we did uh, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon last fall, what you typically will find is on the U.S. side of the park, there will be a U.S. Uh, border patrol vehicle in the parking lot of, on the U.S. side. And when we spoke to U.S. border patrol authorities, they told us that they uh, usually have someone stationed there as a deterrent to prevent people from jumping the border from Canada into the United States. However, when you look for uh, an equivalent to that on the Canadian side, uh, we didn't see anything of that sort on the Canadian hmm. side. There, so there isn't uh, a similar deterrent. Uh, we didn't see any you know, form of law enforcement presence anywhere on the Canadian side of the park. And, and, and if you speak to the president of the uh, union that represents border officers in Canada, uh, he will tell you that uh, in his opinion, uh, that is a major gap, uh, not only at the park, but basically all along the Canadian port, uh, border between uh, ports of entry. He says that this is uh, a serious gap right now uh, in, in the country, that there isn't the same level of cameras, uh, uh, border patrol uh, between ports of entry. And, and he says, uh, and we, we quoted him saying this in the story, that on a, on a busy day at Peace Arch Park, uh, he says it's, uh, it's ridiculously easy, in his words, uh, to uh, jump the border from the U.S. into Canada and basically, you know, get lost in, in the sea of, you know, tourists and, and visitors who are, are, are uh, milling about in, in the park. Now, when you were reporting on this story, specifically, you were in the park recording a video to be included with your story, you witnessed something that sounds eerily similar to what you were wrote about. What can you tell me about that? So as part of our reporting on this story, you know, once we heard, uh, you know, the allegations against Mr. Kong, uh, we decided to, a photographer and I decided to travel down to Peace Arch Park on, on a Saturday afternoon and, and just kind of get a sense of, of the landscape and, and a sense of the area. 
uh, to see what was going on. And, and we were just astounded that it would be that easy for potentially hundreds of people to basically walk across uh, the border in, in the fashion that, that is alleged to have happened. So what we did was we went down there um, and it didn't take a long time before something caught our eye. Uh, we were standing uh, uh, just a few meters away from the Peace Arch Monument, uh, shooting a, a stand-up uh, on video, uh, when we noticed uh, a, a young man uh, walking fairly briskly uh, from the ca Canadian side of the park uh, to the U.S. side. Uh, he was talking on his cell phone, and he was headed in the direction of a set of washrooms. Um, and what I haven't mentioned yet is the washrooms kind of play an important role in this whole story because uh, according to the court records, there was this pattern that was established whereby this network would uh, sort of drop people off on the U.S. side and these migrants would be directed to the washrooms, at which point someone on the Canadian side would guide them from the washrooms to a waiting vehicle. So we noticed this man walking to the washrooms, and a few minutes later, he reappeared with what appeared to be a family of four, uh, a mother, father, and two children. The man with the cell phone then proceeded to guide this family uh from the U.S. side back onto Canadian soil, uh, staying several paces ahead. It was clear that they were walking away from the Canadian port of entry. Um, and so they walked across the lawn, they walked across uh, both lanes of traffic, and they headed for uh, the shoreline. This park is adjacent to uh, this body of water called Semiamu Bay. And, uh, and that's exactly where they went. And so we, we basically thought, huh, that's interesting. So we followed them and, and just sort of kept an eye on them to see where they would go. And, uh, after a few minutes of, of chit chat on his cell phone, uh, the man on the phone left the family, went back up to his vehicle, which was parked, uh, uh near the duty free store. He drove off and we observed this, what appeared to be this family of four basically just start walking north. Uh, along the beach uh, for about three kilometers to this community called White Rock. We can't be 100% certain uh, that, uh, you know, this, uh, that there was something nefarious going on here. It, it is possible that, you know, this is a Canadian family that decided to, you know, just go visit the park and then, you know, walk walk home and just take the, the long way back. But it did seem to, you know, sort of follow the, the pattern that we saw from, from the court records. Well, it's a fascinating story and we'll definitely be following the court case to see uh, how things transpire. Doug, thanks for your time. Thanks so much. 10-3 is produced by Carson Drama. Additional production from Darren McQuana. Special thanks to my guest, Doug Kwan. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.